0: 26th of October, it's officially pumpkin day, it's also mincemeat pie day, which came to find out, um, my wonderful producer Paul Perot thought that mincemeat pie was made of minced mice meat. Blame it on the cartoon series Klondike Cat,
2: because mm-hmm. he'd make mm-hmm. mincemeat out of that mouse and I, I, you know, it just stuck in my head. I'm sorry. That's still
0: I think uh, that just any reference to meat and pie, like unless you're just call it like you should just call it quiche. Then it's oh. like less offensive. I oh, know there you go. even yeah. though it's nothing like quiche, but there you go. No. Okay. So um we are gonna talk about something that consumes the conversations in many, many American families right now, and that is cancer. And so I wanna lead off with um a good news story. And it is a little bit of the rest of the story related to Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady, who made NFL history on Sunday by throwing his 600th touchdown pass. That is a lot of touchdowns in the NFL. Um, and there is a story about the ball and the fan who got the ball and then gave the ball back for now what people are saying is far less than the ball is worth. But there's another even more important story and storyline from that game that I don't want you to miss. And it's about a little boy from Utah Who was in the stands on Sunday, and his name is Noah Reeb. So in December of 2020, um, Noah was starting to have headaches, and they grew more and more severe. Um, And in February, they found out that uh, Noah had a brain tumor. So his mom, Jackie, uh, is is quoted by a news outlet in Salt Lake City um, saying this, it's one of those tragic moments that you read about. They turn the screen around and they say, you have cancer. In our case, they turned that screen around and they showed us Noah's tumor in the center of his head. They said he has brain cancer. We need to get him to the hospital today. So Noah had two surgeries, chemo and radiation. um, And that's when a video from Noah's, you know, greatest of all time hero, Tom Brady, arrived on Jackie's Instagram feed. Um. And Jackie says this about receiving that uh, Instagram video from Tom Brady. She says, Noah and I were in the car, parked in the driveway, emotionally broken down, um, having a heart-to-heart about mental toughness through adversity. And then out of the blue, this video. What? We both looked at each other and we started sobbing. And then we were laughing. Tom Brady, you're the greatest. You just relit a big fire of courage in this little boy's cancer fight. Well, Noah finished his treatment in July. Scans um, show that his tumor is gone. Um, among, among the images on his family's Instagram story um, of his fight is an image of Noah with the number 12 shaved into his hairline, which if you know Tom Brady, you know what that reference means. Um, and then Jackie wrote on her Instagram story um, that Tom Brady had, quote, changed my boy's life. So Tom Brady seems moved by the whole thing as well. He says, it's all very sweet. Obviously, this is a tough kid. Man, it puts a lot into perspective of what's going on on the field. I mean, in the end, this is Tom Brady, by the way, guys. In the end, it doesn't mean much what's going on the field compared to what people are going through. Well, on Sunday before the game ended, Tom Brady Brady, um, walked over to the stands and he greeted Noah, gave him a hat and a handshake. The mutual admiration between the two was pretty obvious. So that's a good news um, cancer story. I will say that as a family with a um, 10-year cancer survivor of childhood leukemia, um, you you know, I talk about my nephew, Larry, who just turned, uh, just turned, did he just turn 18? No, did he just turn 17? I don't know. My math is so bad. He's a senior in high school this year. Let's just put it at that. Um, I know that, uh, you know, he continues to get checks and scans. And that will be true of little Noah as well. He will continue to get cancer screenings until he's 18. In 2020, some 1.8 million people in the United States of America heard that diagnosis. You have cancer. Um, It it means um, different things to different people. And we want to talk with Dr. Al Weir about what it means when we hear that um, during this Breast Cancer Awareness Month of October. So I'll be back in just a moment with Dr. Al Weir.
1: Doctor,
3: my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Now,
0: Doctor Al Weir joins us now from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Dr. Weir, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for that story you just told. That's beautiful. Uh,
0: absolutely. I think that when we see a child, right, at the center of this conversation, our our hearts just all leave our bodies, like, right, that is, our hearts go out to those families. Um, talk with us about cancer. Talk with us about um, hearing those words, you have cancer and increasingly what it means, because it's not the death sentence that it used to be.
3: Right. Cancer, you know, of course, I've been doing this for decades, and uh, I've got patient after patient in my memory whom I have loved and cared for, many who did very well and some who did not. Uh, so cancer means a whole lot to me. Cancer means a lot for some of those who are listening who have had loved ones die from cancer who are cancer survivors. It, it means so many different things. But but cancer is... Um, Totally different from what uh, most people think of it. Uh, since we have um, been able to actually look at the very DNA and the, the genes have been mapped, we know that cancer is very specific for every individual that uh, uh, acquires the disease. Uh, and that uh, if you have breast cancer, I have breast cancer, they are totally different. Just like fingerprints, there are so many different uh, mutations in the DNA that will cause, and therefore, the outcomes and the treatment and the prognosis and, and what's going to happen with uh, patients when they're given the diagnosis of cancer is totally different from one patient to the, another, to the other. And uh, as we get this knowledge, uh, then we are able to very much personalize not only our message of cancer and prognosis, but also the treatments are incredibly uh, complex and and hopeful. Uh, now compared to, say, 10 years ago um, when I was treating cancer patients.
0: So when we, um, when we hear stories of um, you know, notable individuals, people whose names we recognize uh, who have cancer and survive cancer or those who you know, cancer is ultimately the cause of death, um, I, I think that gets the conversation going in the culture. So maybe you want to highlight a few of those recently.
3: Sure, well, I think the most recent uh, was uh, Colin Powell, who actually uh, had a long history of a disease called multiple myeloma, which is a malignancy in the bone marrow. Uh, and again, over my career, multiple myeloma uh, is a disease that has uh, remarkably changed in our ability to treat. We have, we have so many different new treatments for myeloma. In fact, there are, one comes out almost every year, Whereas before, uh, most patients survived two to three years. Uh, now, even though we don't tend to cure the disease, many people live longer than 10 years with it and have good quality of life. Uh, our treatments um, are just um, incredibly um, expanding as, as we go through the years.
0: So I think that when we... Um... So Colin Powell is a good example of a person who, you know, I'll just say that the headlines confuse us, right? Because so at 84 years old, he has these underlying conditions, including um, a, a cancer that he's been told will one day be terminal, and he and he dies. But everybody is talking about Colin Powell dying from COVID, and so I, I know I don't really want to have a whole COVID conversation. But I do want you to help us understand the whole concept of cause of death and how it's determined. Like, did he die of cancer or did he die of COVID?
3: Well, of course, I don't know the details of his death. But when people have uh, cancers and malignancies, they, they rarely die of the cancer. They're, they're, they, they usually die of some complication that tips them over the edge. Um, the, uh, very often it may be infection uh, it might be bleeding, it might be um, uh, pneumonias, uh, other things like that 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 cause people to actually die uh, from the cancer itself. So I, again, I have to speculate in Colin Powell's uh, situation, but uh, multiple myeloma particularly is a disease that suppresses your immune system mm. where you cannot uh, develop a good immune response So his vaccinations very likely were not very effective just because of his underlying disorder and the underlying treatment. Uh, Treatments, many of the immune-directed treatments for cancer um, will suppress your immune system as well. And I often have to tell my cancer patients, well, even though you've been vaccinated, you're getting these drugs, therefore you need to act like you're not uh, vaccinated. So uh, with Colin Powell, it may well be that um, uh, he had advanced myeloma, he developed covid Uh, COVID may or may not have been the cause of his death as a serious infection, or it may just have been present as it is in so many people without causing uh, severe harm and just happened to be there at the time he died from other causes. I don't know the details.
0: Well, but that's helpful. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much um, for helping us understand that a little bit better. Um, Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I'd love for you, Dr. Weir, to share with us some of the latest developments in cancer research and cancer treatment. I think these are you know, these are sort of the, the, the hope signs in the cancer conversation. We're talking with Dr. Al Weir from the Christian Medical and Dental Association, and we'll be right back. I
3: see you in white. made
0: right, I see you rose All right, continuing our conversation with Dr. Al Weir, um, let's talk about the latest developments in cancer research and treatment. I mean, it is it is monumental leaps forward all the time, um, and it's becoming more and more personalized. Can you talk about that?
3: Sure. Let me let me just uh, briefly go over uh, so people can understand. We have uh, we have seven tools in our belt against cancer, and I'm going to brief very quickly tell you what those are, and then and then talk about some outstanding advancements in some of them. Uh, number one, our first tool is uh, cancer prevention. And the, the the two biggest takeaways from that are smoking and obesity. If we can prevent smoking and obesity, then so many people will not die from cancer. The second is cancer screening. There are appropriate screening tools for cancer, such that so that we can catch cancer early. And if patients will, if people will follow those cancer screening guidelines, uh, then we can catch so many cancers early and eradicate them before they become uh, a danger to uh, to the patient. Then we have uh, surgery. We know surgery is, uh, is amazingly helpful and often the frontline uh, treatment against uh, cancer. And there's so many new surgical tools and developments such that surgery is much less uh, costly to a patient's uh, injury than it was before. There is uh, radiation therapy that can cure cancer. And ca- uh, radiation therapy has incredible new techniques as far as how they can focus radiation so that it doesn't harm other tissue. Uh, then there's chemotherapy. Everybody knows about chemotherapy. They think of somebody in their past that had horrible times with chemotherapy. Well, chemotherapy is uh, is uh, generally, these are drugs that actually destroy cancer cells but can also hurt normal cells. And so we have to be careful with them, but we've become much more careful. We have so many new drugs that are developed and ways to prevent people from get, being very sick. And then the two new approaches to therapy over the past 10 years that have been remarkably successful and helpful the first one is immune therapy, and I think if you turn on your television, you'll see all kinds of advertisements for immune therapy for lung cancer. But but our ability to uh, turn on the immune system uh, uh, to attack the cancer itself has, has been very, very helpful and saves thousands of lives every year. Uh, and those uh, those uh, drugs that are advertised on television are quite helpful in, in lung cancer and kidney cancer. Melanoma, that's been a disease that had no treatment whatsoever once it spread ten years ago, uh, now has incredibly effective immune therapy against it. Uh, and then the then the um, the last tool would be that what we call targeted therapy. Now that we know that cancer is caused by individual mutations on the genes of our dna Uh, scientists have developed ways to target those very specific mutations and pathways that they run and people may take a pill that can uh, can uh, abruptly uh, uh, intersect with that uh, pathway and stop its action such that the cancer can be uh, can be controlled Uh, one particular diagnosis is chronic lymphocytic leukemia which which in the past it may be a very, very benign disease and never need treatment. But when it needs treatment, can be very difficult at times. But now there's a pill um, that affects uh, a certain uh, pa- uh, enzyme, uh, tyrosine kinase, in the CLL uh, that can uh, can stop the cancer for many, many years with very little toxicity to the patient. So, so in, in all of these uh, areas, there are just major advancements that – that sometimes cure a lot more cancers, but also make cancer uh, often a chronic disease where people can live with good quality of life with cancer for many years, uh, even if they can't eradicate the cancer.
0: So I think that is um, that is really important. I mean, I am I. You can tell me, like Carmen, you totally don't understand your body uh, when you when you make this next statement. But I mean, I, don't I always have cells that are not behaving correctly, but my body deals with them. And so uh,
3: that's a, that's an amazing insight. And that, that that's beautiful. Uh, we have such an incredibly designed body that God's designed such that uh, you are absolutely right. Our cells are constantly mutating uh, into forms that could become cancer, but our body's immune system uh, is able to eradicate those cancer cells uh, uh, every day probably in our bodies such that we are not uh, not uh, ravaged with cancer. And the interesting thing is, and one of the interesting immune things that's fascinating is uh, that we are so well balanced by God that, that our immune system attacks the cancer cells but doesn't attack our own body. Uh, and, and it's manipulating that balance that has come to the forefront in cancer therapy where we can shift it a little more towards attacking the cancer cell uh, and uh, a little less uh, towards protection from a body that's caused so much uh, improvement in the, in the management of diseases like melanoma, lung cancer, kidney cancer, and things like that. But you're absolutely right on that. So
0: um, I think my sister would say, uh, and as a person who had a child who was diagnosed um, with leukemia and, and went through many different kinds of, uh, of chemotherapies uh, it, it, until they achieved you know, the right the right one that worked for him. I think she would say that the worst possible thing you can do is google it. Um <laughs> would would you would you agree with that like when you when someone says you have cancer and everybody you know then goes and googles your kind of cancer um it's not necessarily your kind of cancer because it is so personal.
3: Absolutely. And and that that, that can be helpful but it can be incredibly dangerous. Let me go ahead and give you two websites that are reliable. Please. Uh, Uh, One is nccn.org. There's patient information regarding many cancers on that website that's absolutely reliable. And the other is cancer.net. That information is very reliable. The, the problem with the Internet is that there's so many unreliable sources that uh, people can get quite confused and quite afraid. That I would just advise patients, if they go to the Internet before they talk to their doctor, at least talk to the doctor about the questions they, they hear on the Internet and, uh, and let the doctor uh, explain well, why or why not that pertains to them individually.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is so helpful. Um, all right, anything specific that you want to um, that you want to talk about in relationship to? We could probably have time to do one: breast cancer or leukemia.
3: So uh, uh, probably breast cancer. Breast cancer has so many advances. Um, the, um, the the breast cancer again is very personalized. There are many many different types of breast cancer. Uh, the most important thing about breast cancer I can think of is adequate screening. Uh, that women should uh, follow the uh, at least the American Cancer Society guidelines on screening and get the early screening. If there's family history, they should get it uh, even earlier uh, than that. Once breast cancer um, develops, most patients are going to be cured of breast cancer, so people need to be encouraged about that. Um, if breast cancer becomes advanced, many people live many many years with all the new drugs that can uh, can manage the cancer. Uh, some with very little side effects and good quality of life. Um, there are about uh, 280,000 new cases of breast cancer in the United States this, this year, and about uh, uh, 40, uh, 44,000 people die. So it's 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 a difficult disease for many people. And but uh, but again, many people live many years um, uh, with good quality of life with breast cancer. And I would just advise people to f- really follow the breast cancer screening guidelines and have their mammographies.
0: All right. And I learned that it's not only it's not just women. So there you it's go. Not- that was new, new learning for me in doing the research for our conversation.
3: You're right. You're right. Fascinating.
0: All right, um, Dr. Al Weir. Wow. Thank you so much for what you do each and every day. Thank you for your very good patient care. And thank you for your patience with us, walking us through this information. It's been really, really helpful.
3: I bless all your
0: bless. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to go I'll take a break for break point and then we'll be right back. Oh, love. Love, love, love. Love is a many splendid thing. Love is sung about, talked about, hoped for, prayed for, resisted demonstrated, received. We hear that God is love. We hear that all we need is love. Let's talk about love. Jared Wilson joins us next. The book is Love Me Anyway, How God's Perfect Love Fills Our Deepest Longing.
1: This is Max Locato. Resistance Matters. Long after acts of compliance are forgotten, acts of courage are pondered. In the story of Esther, Mordecai refused to bow before evil Haman. In his refusal to bow was the first link in a chain of courageous acts that led to the salvation of his people. Your resolve might be the decisive gesture that breaks the stronghold. So. Decide now what you will do then Don't wait until the heat of the moment A crisis is no time to prepare an escape plan Being in the arms of your date in a motel room Is not the time or place to make up your mind about morality There is a reason that the airline attendant Points out the emergency exits Before the plane leaves the ground We do not think clearly during a free fall The time to determine to resist temptation Is before it strikes May you take a stand for what is right. This is Max Locato.
0: On a high and windy. Joining us now, Jared Wilson. Jared is an assistant professor of pastoral ministry. He is an author. Uh, he serves at Midwestern Seminary. He is the director of the Pastoral Training Center at Liberty Baptist Church. All of that takes place in Kansas City, he is the author of numerous books, and he is here to talk with us today um, about his newest book, the newest offering, Love Me Anyway, How God's Perfect Love Fills Our Deepest Longing. Jared, welcome back to Mornings with
2: Carmen. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you again.
0: Well, it's wonderful. It's, it's just great to talk with you. Um, this book is really personal as well as um being being a good look at what love is and some of the things we mistake for love along the way. So just give people a, a an overview of this project and the need that it meets right now.
2: Sure. Well, it really began with my kind of pondering the deepest human need, right? What is the thing that we've been searching for uh, since the very beginning of, of uh, the creation of mankind and, and especially since the fall, right? The very first spoken words from a human being that we have recorded there in Genesis chapter 2, the very first words spoken were a love song, Adam seeing Eve for the very first time. And I think ever since then, and certainly ever since uh, the fall of mankind, we've been trying to, to get love, feel love, know love. And so I just thought, gosh, this is such a universal thing, and it's something that we've been chasing after Uh, for thousands and thousands of years, maybe that's a subject worth exploring (laughs) in in a book. And so uh, what I do chapter by chapter is kind of walk through uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which is probably the most famous, you know, love Love
0: chapter in the book. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's
2: right. Yeah, certainly in scripture, but maybe of of, of any literature and just sort of walk through clause by clause. uh, What does the Bible say love actually is? And then apply that to our own lives.
0: So if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, okay, of all the books Carmen's talked about, I know I need this one. Uh, I invite you to text the word book to 877-933-2484. We do have copies from our friends over at Baker Books to give away today. So um, let's talk about 1 Corinthians 13. It is a passage of scripture that gets quoted a lot. Um, I mean, is there something that you learned in in the writing of the book about the passage that maybe you know I don't know struck you differently than all the other times you've heard it or thought about it.
2: Sure. Well, a couple of things. First of all, as you as you note, it it, it is so popular, right? It is to I think First Corinthians thirteen is to weddings what uh, Amazing Grace is to funerals. That mm. <laughs> it's just sort of the it's and one of just the Just greatest- As
0: I am is to Billy Graham crusades. <laughs>
2: Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's it, you. You. You expect to hear it there, even when you know two people getting married, you know, don't, uh, you know, aren't believers or or have you know uh, a commitment to a Christian church or anything. You know, if they want any kind of whiff of religion in the, in their ceremony, they want some Bible read. It's typically something. It's typically First Corinthians thirteen because that's the love chapter. But mm. once you actually stare at what these words say and what Paul is instructing. Um, you know, Christians uh, to do and to know about love, you actually see how self-denying it is, how unsentimental it is, how self-crucifying it calls us to be. And so that's the first thing, just the the shock of the kind of love that the Scriptures call us to is, is not the romantic, fluffy kind of Love. Um I, I think that love is great. I talk a lot about that love in the book as well. I'm I'm a fan of romantic love and, and romance and all that sort of thing. But the kind of love that the you know first Corinthians calls us to is um kind of a, a finding ourself by losing ourselves sort of thing. So that's the first thing. The the second though is just that little phrase at the end of the chapter where Paul says uh, now, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. That's always sort of puzzled me. How is love greater than hope and faith? You know, faith justifies us, right? So how how can love be greater than that? So I tease that out in the book as well. I, I give my attempt at an answer of why love is, is even better than faith and hope.
0: So some of the things that came to mind as I was— um as i was considering this and particularly when we start talking about the reality that god is love so i want i want you to pick up on that here in just a second but when we when we start considering that god is love and and we think about love as god's command to us um i'm so i just celebrate that god gives us everything necessary to accomplish that like right he commands us to love first and greatest commandment and then the new commandment that Jesus gives that we would love one another. And I just look at that and I'm like I'm so thankful that he then gives us the love that's necessary to do that. Um and then that that, that the way we love one another gets to be the evidence um demonstrated through our lives to the world that needs exactly what we need, which is this divine love. So I just I I appreciated um your exploration of the phrase god is love why don't you brief people in on that
2: yeah well it it actually explains one of the core doctrines of christianity i think the the existence of love does because um we believe that there was a time when only god existed um you know god existed and and and, and nothing else did so he is the great uncreated uh, creator but we also see in the bible as you said in in first john chapter 4 that that god he in himself is love he doesn't just have you know have love he is love and i've always wondered how could god be love if he uh if there was a time when only he existed because love must have an object you know how can there just be love that's just sort of ethereal you know virtue existing in a vacuum well the doctrine of the trinity actually explains this and kind of unlocks the the reality of love for us. So on the theological level, we can see how God can be love in and of himself because we know that the one God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within the Godhead, God enjoys this love because the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, and so on and so forth. They have a mutuality of love uh, within the one God, uh, um, himself. So we see how the Trinity actually explains the reality of love and love explains the reality of, of the Trinity as well. And then it helps us when we get to the creation of man and woman, because some people sometimes seem to think that God created man because he needed someone to love or, Mm. you know, he, he, he needed to feel love or something like that. Which is of course untrue, right? Theologically, we know that that God doesn't need anything he 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 lacks for nothing uh, and so he created man <clears throat> and woman because he wanted to share this love. in a sense, the love was so great he wanted to have it spill um, over the bounds and and uh, um, you know he wanted man and woman to share in the great love that God has in and of himself. So it's it's a wonderful picture, actually, of of a God who needs nothing and yet gives everything. Um, and, and what a picture of grace that is also.
0: Oh, absolutely. All right. We're going to continue our conversation <clears throat> with Jared Wilson in just a moment. The book is Love Me Anyway. You can enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Jared Wilson, the book is Love Me Anyway, How God's Perfect Love Fills Our Deepest Longing. Um, Jared, I think that, you know, some of the confusion in our culture, maybe much of the confusion in our culture, is that love is um, confined and defined relationally by um, erotic love, sexual relationships, and therefore marriage as the, you know, among Christians— only way that, you know, somebody has any authority to talk about love. But when God talks about people knowing us by our love, that is not what he's talking about. So can you, um, can you roam around a little bit in the way we love one another and how we love others reflecting who God is and that we belong to him?
2: Yeah, well, I think the way that we tend to think of love or the way we tend to give love uh, really embodies a kind of uh relational legalism which is mm. really um we our love comes with strings attached and we don't often think of it that way but when we operate as if um you know i i will love you so long as you make me feel a certain way or do a certain thing for me or you know appear to meet my needs or appear to fulfill me, or as long as the response to my love is favorable, all those sorts of things. And and that's true beyond, you know, romantic relationships. We can treat our our friends that way. We can treat our parents and our children that way. We can treat our, our, our you know, fellow church members our, and, our, and our churches in general that way. It's a kind of relational legalism. It's a conditional kind of love. And when people see that in us, Um, they don't see anything compelling because it looks just like the way the world loves. The way the world loves has uh, conditions on it. It is a kind of relational legalism. But when we love the way that Christ has called us to love, which is a self-sacrificing kind of love, um, the kind of love you see in 1 Corinthians 13 that isn't self-seeking, that isn't irritable, that hopes all things and endures all things, then people can begin to see Um, the reality of Christ and the the beauty of Christ, because they see a love that they don't see in their everyday life. They see a love that actually looks like um, heaven and gives a glimpse of heaven.
0: All right, we have very astute listeners who feel like it's essential that I point (laughs) out that your middle initial is C— yeah. Um because they've been googling and apparently there is a Jared Wilson by the same spelling, there's a Jared Wilson by a different spelling. And so let me just say the Jared Wilson we're talking with right now has the middle initial C and his first name is spelled like the word jar and the word ed. Or the two <laughs> like he's a Jar Ed. Okay. So yeah. J A R E D middle initial it's, C Wilson. Have you been confused spelling, with these other know. men? It's the it, yeah. What's the C stand for?
2: The C stands for Coy, C-O-Y, so which nice. is my grandfather's name.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so um, <laughs> have you been confused with the other Jared Wilsons? And if so, do you guys know each other? Like, is there a yeah. is there a pal group?
2: Well, th- so there is another Jared Wilson who is an author. We actually shared the same agent. Um, he sadly passed away last year, a couple of years ago. But we, we used to joke quite a bit about, because he would get you know uh, complimented for my books and i would get complimented for his so <laughs> it was a, that, it was an interesting dynamic
0: yeah absolutely all right so we're talking with jared c wilson about his new book love me anyway uh, how god's perfect love fills our deepest longing we are giving away copies from our friends over at baker so go ahead and text the word book to 8779332484 to enter the drawing for those Um, Jared, let's, uh, let's talk with and encourage people who long for love, but feel unlovable and certainly have experienced being unloved.
2: Yes. Well, and this is, uh, really ideally who I wrote the book for, for anyone who has ever, you know, laid awake at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering, will I ever know love? Can I ever feel loved? that that's me. And, and you said at the very beginning, you know, you know, the book is very personal and it is, Mm -hmm. so it's not just an academic theological study of love. It's not a commentary on first Corinthians 13. Uh, There's a lot of personal stories. There's a lot of myself, my own, you know, my own heart in this Mm -hmm. book. I kind of tell the, the sordid history of of my own failed attempts at feeling loved because it's something that I've struggled with ever since I was a child. and, And I talk about that in the book as well. And, and even the painful, things that I brought into my marriage and the way I even, um, you know, threatened my marriage with, um, you know, corrupt and, and, and sinful ways of, of feeling loved. Um, I talk about all that in the book because I know the feeling very well and, and I want to, uh, encourage people who have felt like I do or who who currently feel like I do. If you've ever dealt with discouragement or depression and just wondered, gosh, I, I maybe I believe this love stuff exists. And I believe intellectually that God loves me because the Bible says that he does, and I believe in the Bible, but I don't feel loved, and I don't know that I'll ever know love. I, I wrote this book for that experience and for those people because <clears throat> I want, first of all, all of us to remember that you can be loved and not feel love. Um, you know, that that God is actually closer than our next breath, and his love is uh, forever. His His loving kindness endures forever. And so I'm just trying to bring up the evidences of, of his love, which goes beyond how we feel, um, but also not d- diminish that experience, the the knowing of love and the feeling of love. God made us in a particular way, and really what I want to do is kind of place our gaze up to heaven, where Christ always lives to intercede for us, where he is our eternal advocate. So anyone who has repented of their sin and put their faith in him— has his love and can know his love. And I think that's the forecast of 1 Corinthians 13. That's where Paul goes, which is to say, one day we will see him face to face, and we will know just as we are known. So love is available now, and love will be waiting for us uh, at the end of the age, and that's something to to be encouraged by.
0: Okay, if you were to invite uh, me to be on the For the Church podcast, what would we talk about? (laughs)
2: <laughs> I don't know. What, will we talk, what would you mm-hmm. want to talk about?
0: Hmm. I don't know. We should talk about that. And um. Open so, forum. yeah, Um. Jared Wilson, um, middle initial C, one of the things he does is he hosts the For the Church podcast. And let me recommend to you, if you've never visited the For the Church website, it's just ftc.co. But if you type in For the Church into your Google Looker Arounder. it will take you there. So the For the Church podcast, and he also co-hosts Christianity Today's The Art of Pastoring podcast. Um, and during this month of October, when we've been intentionally focused on showing appreciation for our pastors, uh, Jared, maybe just give us one one idea as we walk away from this conversation, how we could show deep appreciation for our pastors uh, in, in these waning days of uh, Pastor Appreciation Month.
2: Oh my goodness, this is a great question and so needed right now because there are so many pastors over the last couple of years who are really battling a lot of discouragement. Um, it's been a very difficult—as difficult as it's been for so many of us over the last couple of years, it's been extremely difficult for pastors. So I think my my overarching encouragement would be to seek what it means to be a low-maintenance church member, um, mm. which means every, you know everything from pursuing personal holiness— And um, and I think it means being an encourager to our pastors, not scrutinizing everything that they do, uh, trusting them. The author of Hebrews tells us to submit to our leaders and obey them so that we don't give them cause for groaning. So um, when I think of my own pastors, I think, you know, when they see me coming, I don't want them to have to steal themselves or, or, you know, hold their breath or, or what I want them to be at ease. I want them I want to be a refreshing presence in their life not a, uh, a a cause for groaning to them.
0: That's so helpful. That's so, thank you so much. Um, you've been an encouragement to us today. Um, thank you for all the ways you encourage others. You guys can find uh, Jared on Instagram and Twitter at Jared C. Wilson. Um, you can, uh, you can also find him at For the Church Podcast and the Art of Pastoring Podcast at Christianity Today. Jared, as always, thank you so very much.
2: Carmen, thank you. It's been great.
0: It's been great. We'll be right back. All right, we're out of time for today. I love you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. I'm Carmen LeBurge. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Remember, it's your prayerful and faithful financial support that makes both the live show and the podcast available. Make your gift at MyFaithRadio.com.